Scripture reading this morning comes from 2 Samuel. We're going to do the first seven verses of chapter 2 and then flip over to chapter 5 and do the first five verses. Second Samuel 2. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. When they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you, because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. And then chapter 5, the first five verses. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. And they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. Amen. Well, if you are anything like me, then you enjoy a good Disney movie or two, particularly a few of the animated ones. Now, if you are like me, then you understand which really are the great ones, which ones really are great. You know, I think uh, in my humble opinion, and I am sure it is yours too, that The Lion King is the best of the Disney animations. If you don't think so, just keep it to yourself. (laughs) I am... uh, I am particularly drawn to a scene in The Lion King when little Simba uh, is desirous to be king like his father, Mufasa. Ooh, say it with me again, Mufasa. Ooh. (laughs) And um, he goes, he breaks off into this song, declaring that he just can't wait to be king says, I'm going to be the main event like no king was before. I'm brushing up on looking down. I'm working on my receipt. You know what I'm saying, sister. That's right. I'm brushing up on looking down. I'm working on my roar because I just can't wait to be king. I just can't wait to be king. Simba wanted to be king. It's what he lived for. 
Every morning, that's why he breathed. He wanted to be king. But not so with David. David didn't wake up every morning wanting to be king. David didn't go around singing, oh, I just can't wait to be king. Even though God had anointed David king, even though God had promised the kingdom to David, David knew it and many others knew it, and yet David was contented to wait for God's time. David was contented to receive the kingdom of God, God's way. David, like Simba, had been told that one day he would be king. David, like Simba, had lived his young life in anticipation of that kingdom. And yet David, unlike Simba, was willing to wait. Wait for God's timing to receive his kingdom. As we get to 2 Samuel chapter 2, In the course of David's life, we see that now is the time. Now is the time that God would do as he had promised to do, and that is hand over the kingdom of Israel, leadership to David. But even as God hands it over to David, certain aspects that David is going to have to endure and understand so that he might truly appreciate the kingdom of God. And what God shows David and what God demonstrates in Israel concerning the kingdom of God is really instructive to us as we, who are sons and daughters of God, heirs to the kingdom of God, as we are a kingdom of priests to God. This is instructive to us as well. But there's three things I want us to see this morning concerning the kingdom that David received. Might it instruct us as we receive the kingdom of God today. The first one I want us to see is the anticipation. For the kingdom of God is worth waiting for. And the second thing I want us to behold from our text this this morning is the altercation. For it is a kingdom worth fighting for. And ultimately, I want us to see the coronation. For there is a king who is fit for this kingdom. You see the anticipation. The kingdom that David is to receive is a kingdom worth waiting for. For the kingdom of God now, as we enter into our text this morning, the kingdom of God, that is Israel, is finally within David's reach. Notice how the text begins. It says, afterward, or in the course of time. 
In the course of time, afterwards, after what? After the reign of Saul is over. After David had mourned the death of Saul and Jonathan. After these things, in the course of time. Now is the season for David to receive the kingdom. But notice what David does. He knows that Saul is out of the picture. He knows that Jonathan is dead. He knows that the house of Saul is no longer a serious threat to him and his ascension to the throne of Israel. He knows that he has received the promises of God. He knows that he has been anointed king over Israel. But notice what he does. He still inquires of the Lord says, okay, should I go up to one of the cities of Judah? And the Lord says, go up. And he says, then to what city shall I go? And the Lord says to Hebron. In other words, he says, where should I go, Lord, and what should I do? Even though he had already known that he is is to be king over Israel, even though he already knows that he has been anointed, even though all those around him know that David is to be the next king of Israel, David consults and seeks the face of God. sought the Lord. And even though you would, you would think that he knows that his time has come, he still seeks the Lord. Why? Because seeking the Lord is always a good idea. No matter how sure you think you are, no matter how confident you think you are doing and performing the will of God, seeking the Lord is always a good idea. And this is what David does. He seeks the Lord. David teaches us something very important here. And that is he not only teaches us to seek the Lord, but then David teaches us to wait on the Lord. He doesn't move too fast. He doesn't just go out on his own and begin to take control of all of the nation because he knows that the crown is his. He still waits on the Lord. He waits for the Lord to tell him to move. He waits on the Lord to tell him where to go and when to go. Even though it has come the time for him to realize the dream. He's willing to wait for how the Lord wants it done. And this is something David would rehearse again and again and then teach us and teach us and instruct us over and over again. When you read the Psalms, you see it again and again that David encourages us to wait on the Lord. In Psalm 27 and verse 14, the Bible says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And David says in Psalm 31, be strong and let your heart take courage. 
all you who wait for the Lord. Psalm 37 and verse 34, wait for the Lord, David says, and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Wait on the Lord. And you know, waiting on the Lord is not easy. David reminds us three things that is necessary if you're going to really wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord takes courage. It really does. It takes courage to wait, and you see that. You see that in Psalm 27 and verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. You see it again in Psalm 31 and verse 24. Be strong, David says. Let your heart take courage. All you who wait for the Lord. Why? Because waiting on God takes courage. Why does it take courage? Notice what David does not do. David did not counsel with others who might have told him, seize the kingdom now. He doesn't counsel with those around him and says, David, Saul is gone. David, Jonathan is gone. David, it is your time. It is your season. Seize upon it. Because that's what those around us would tend to do. But no. Instead, he counseled with God. Why? Because it takes courage to wait on God when all others around you are telling you to go. It takes courage to seek the Lord when others around you are telling you that you should just go and do your heart's desire. It takes courage to say no to your own heart and seek to say yes to God. You know, the vast majority of the mistakes and missteps I have made in my life have happened when I have gotten in a hurry. of the issues that I have found in my life and which I have led my family into as well have been times when I got in a hurry. Rarely, rarely have I found that waiting on God caused a problem. Problem comes. Oftentimes, when we get in a hurry, when we got to have it right now, we make decisions. I have to have that thing. I have to have that relationship. I have to have that place. I have to be in that position right now. Vast majority of our issues come because we're not willing to take courage, wait, wait on the Lord. But you know, when you're waiting on the Lord, David also reminds us that waiting on the Lord not only takes courage, but waiting on the Lord, waiting on God is active. 
It is not a passive wait. We are not called to passively wait on God. We are called to be actively doing what we know God has commanded us to do in the meantime. Don't just sit there and say, what are you doing? I'm just waiting on God. No. Notice what he says in Psalms 34, Psalm 37 and verse 34. He says, wait for the Lord and obey his commandments. In other words, God has already revealed to you certain things that you know are clearly his command, clearly his will for your life. And in the midst of waiting for God to get more specific in your life, you are to be doing what you know God has commanded you to do. God says, go to Judah. The response could have been, well, what about the rest of the nation? Why must I only go to Judah? Why can't I just go to all of Israel? No. You wait on that. You just go to Judah. You may not know all that God wants you to do, beloved. But that must not stop you from doing what you know he has called you to do today. To walk in obedience to his word while you wait on him to fulfill and direct the full purposes of your life. It's not a passive waiting When God calls us to wait, it is an active waiting. It takes courage. It is not passive. But you know that the waiting on the Lord ultimately produces grace. That's what it does. Because when you're waiting on the Lord, oftentimes it seems like the halls of heaven are silent. It seems like the windows of heaven are closed. It seems like the prayers that you pray, God is not answering. The Apostle Paul understood this well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says that Paul prayed to the Lord three times for the removal of a thorn that was in his flesh that was causing him much angst. And anxiety. And he prayed to the Lord three times. The indication there is not that Paul prayed three times in a single prayer. But the indication is that Paul sought the Lord on three separate occasions, earnestly coming before the Lord. And he's time. Seemed like the halls of heaven were silent, like the windows of heaven were shut. Until the last time. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and you see the answer that comes from heaven. And it's not the answer that Paul wants, but it's the answer that Paul needs. For he says, Jesus says, my grace is enough. 
My grace is enough. Do you understand that while you are waiting on the Lord, God is orchestrating those events so that you might know the sufficiency of his grace. Grace comes when you're willing to wait. Grace comes when you slow down and trust God. You hear Paul, you hear God saying to Paul, my grace, Paul, is enough. My grace is enough. My grace is enough for you. Anticipation. Lord, you're making me wait. Saul is out the way. Why why can't I just go up and take all of Israel? Why must I only have this little sliver here in the southern part? Why can't I go up and be king over the whole nation? Anticipation. Lord, you're making me wait. Like the old Heinz commercial. Y'all remember those. Bob does. Those old Heinz commercials. Heinz ketchup. You pour the bottle up and it wouldn't come out. I remember those things. Anticipation, you're making me wait. You're keeping me waiting, Lord. This is what he done to David. This is what he did to David. He made him wait. As he does us. Because the kingdom of God is worth waiting for. The pleasures of God are worth waiting for. The will and the delight of God is worth waiting for. If for no other reason, then you experience his grace in the midst of the waiting. All this week, all this week, God has given each of us opportunity to experience his grace through waiting, have we taken advantage of it? By stopping and waiting. The kingdom of God is worth waiting for. It's not only worth waiting for, the kingdom of God is worth fighting for. We see from the anticipation Every kind, there comes this altercation, right? David is going up to Judah and he's becoming king over Judah, even though he anticipates one day he's going to be king over all of Israel. But right now he's just down in the small southern part of Judah, down in his hometown, down where he's from. Why? Because there's a conspiracy going on in the northern part. And for seven and a half years, there's going to be somewhat of a civil war that needs to be fought over the kingdom of Israel. But while David had received his throne in Judah, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, one of Saul's son, has been set up as king in the northern country over the rest of the tribes of Israel. 
You know, this reminds us, it should remind us that, that God does not just hand over the kingdom to David. Doesn't just do that. David's going to have to fight. And this is not something that David is un, unused to. This is not unusual to David. For David has had to fight all along. First, there was lions and bears. And then there was Goliath and Saul. And then there were the Philistines and the Amalekites. And now there is going to be Abner and Ishbosheth. David has been conditioned for battle. Why? Because the kingdom of God is never just handed to you. Wasn't handed over to Jesus. You don't just hand it over. Jesus had to fight. Had to battle with the Sadducees. Had to battle with Satan. Had to battle with the Pharisees. Had to battle with Pilate. He had to battle, battle with death and the grave. He had to battle with Herod and hell. Now, if the kingdom is not just handed over to David, And if the kingdom is not just handed over to Jesus, do you for a moment believe that the kingdom is just going to be handed over to you? But understand this. It's a kingdom worth fighting for. The kingdom of God is a kingdom that requires us to be ready and willing to do battle. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. On the contrary, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. But a sword. In other words, you must be willing to lose your life for the sake of Jesus. You must be willing to lay it all on the line for Christ if you are going to receive the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. Jesus says, from the time... From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violence take it by force. You do understand that the enemy has all of his power and minions arrayed against you and I receiving the kingdom of God. Anybody who has told you or tried to convince you that entering into the will of God and walking in the will of God according to the mercies and the grace of Christ is easy. They have been ignorant. They have been deceived. If you are going to lay hold of Christ, then you are going to have to fight. You are going to have to do battle every single day. You're going to have to battle the world. Because the world is not your friend in laying hold of Christ. 
The world does not develop structures and institutions that's going to make it easy and pleasant for you to live for Jesus in this world. Not only are you going to have to battle the world, but you're going to have to battle your flesh. Because every moment of every day, the sin that still lies within you is going to seek to lead you away from the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. Almost every decision that you will have to make, your flesh will rise up and, and want you to consider the ungodly option. And it's going to be awful convincing most of the time that that is the way of ease. That is the way of pleasure. That is the way of most delight. And if you are going to lay hold of God and lay hold of the will of Christ in your life, you are going to have to fight for it. Every moment of every day. And beloved, if you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say this, that it is worth fighting for. Waiting on God is a fight. It really is. It takes battle. It means you don't give up. You you don't give up. You wait. You beseech him. You beseech the, the, the halls of heaven over and over and over again. And let the Lord know, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You're not going to stop. Um, not long ago, I was, I was counseling with a couple. And. She had determined that she was gone. She was leaving. She had gotten a lawyer, had served divorce papers. And I talked to the man and I said, Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't stop. He said, well, what other choice do I have? She's all but gone. She is, she is leaving. She don't want to talk about it. She don't want to see me. She is gone. I have received these papers. Shouldn't I just go and get a lawyer? Shouldn't I go through with the process? And I said, brother, it is a battle every day. Don't give up. I didn't know what else to tell him. Just don't stop. A few months later, I get a phone call. And he is not weeping, he is rejoicing. And he says, God has turned her heart back She's not leaving. 
She's dismissed the lawyers. We've ripped up the divorce papers. And he told me this. He said, no one or no thing could have done this but God. But the preaching and the hearing of God's word. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a fight. And I want to encourage you this morning. Don't give up. It is a fight worth fighting for. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Why courage? Because courage is necessary for the fight. Understand this. When you don't give up, when you don't give in, you come to realize that ultimately the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And Isaiah says it best. They who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you would endeavor to wait on the Lord. Wait, I say. Wait and be of good courage. Don't stop fighting. David fought. The Bible says for seven and a half years. You're talking about waiting. He is king over Judah. And then for seven and a half years, he has to wait and fight so that he can be kingdom. So he can be king over all of the kingdom of Israel. Seven and a half years. From chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, seven and a half years, David waits and fights for the kingdom. But after seven and a half years, we see the coronation. We behold a king who is fit for this kingdom. Seven and a half years of infighting finally comes to a conclusion in chapter 5, and God gives the full kingdom over to David. David is king over Israel, not just Judah. It's king over all Israel. And all the nation begins to see the plan and the purpose of get to chapter 5 and there is the coronation but you know the truth of David's coronation is that ultimately it points 
to the purpose and the pleasure of God in Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is the King over our kingdom. God ordained David to be king over Israel only as a precursor, only as a shadow of Christ who would be king over all the nations. Notice there's three three movements to this coronation that David received. And it's these movements that point us to Jesus. This is, this is wonderful. The first thing is this identification. In verse 1 of chapter 5, you see the identification. The, 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 the leaders, the elders of Israel gather to David in Judah and, and Hebron, and they come to David, and they come to recognize that now God has established David as king over them. And when they come, they say, Behold, we are your bones and your flesh. They knew David. They knew who David was. They they knew him. They knew that he was one of them, that he was a shepherd, unlike Saul, who was head and shoulders above all the other men in in Israel. David was one of them. David identified with them, and they identified with David. David was the fulfillment of the prophecy that God had given them in Deuteronomy chapter 17 and verse 15. When God had promised them that eventually one day they would have a king. But who would be this king? He says, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. One from among your own brothers you shall set as king over you. David was one of them. He identified with them. They knew him And he knew them. You realize that at the incarnation of Jesus, what was going on is nothing more than Christ coming into the world to identify with us, to become one of us. He became like our flesh. He became like our bones. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, For our sake, he who knew no sin became sin. Why? Because we were sin. And as our king who would rule over us under the kingdom of God, he would come and identify with us. And therefore we with him. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, he was in every respect tempted like we are and knows the temptations we face. Why? Because he was like us, flesh and bone. Became like us. Do you understand that Jesus can identify with all? He identifies with all 
that the nature of the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not a rich kingdom or a poor kingdom. It is not a male kingdom or a female kingdom. It is not a black kingdom or a white kingdom. It is not a young kingdom or an old kingdom. It is not a sick kingdom or a well kingdom. It is the kingdom of God. The king and his kingdom is for all. How's Christ identified? You know, others may not understand who you are, where you are, or what you go through. But Jesus does. He really does. He he identifies with all of us. He identifies with women. Jesus being a man. Oftentimes you hear people saying that they don't know how Jesus can identify with them because they are a woman. But tell that to Mary. Tell that to Mary Magdalene. Tell that to to Martha. Tell that to all of the women that were around Jesus who identified with Jesus and knew that Jesus identified intimately with them. Why? Because Jesus can identify. He identified with the rich. Nicodemus, Zacchaeus. Joseph of Arimathea. He identified with children. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 14. Jesus tells them as they are trying to hinder the children from coming to Jesus, thinking that the children are going to disturb Jesus. Jesus says, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for such is the kingdom of God. He identified. Over and over again. He identifies with the rich. He identifies with the children. He identifies with the poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Over and over again, rich, poor, young, old, Men, women, black, white, it doesn't matter. Jesus identifies with us all as the nature of his kingdom. He has come in flesh appearing, bone of our bone. He is our king and he knows us and therefore, The songwriter is right when he says, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus all of my trials because I need not bear them alone. Why? Because he knows. He knows just how much you can bear. He knows. He is your king. And he identifies. And they identified with David. And that identification led to the second proclamation that they made at his coronation. And that is the adoration. Because David identified with them, 
They adored David. They adored him. Look at verse 2. In times past, they said, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. It was you who led out and brought in Israel. They knew who their real champion was. They knew that Saul was king, but they knew ultimately that David was their real hero. He was their champion. They knew that it was David who again and again laid down his life for them. You know what your king has done for you. You know, if, 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 if your worship and, and, and your adoration of Christ lacked zeal, it is probably because you haven't considered and really contemplated what your king has done for you. Notice what they say in times past. In other words, they recollect what David has done. Perhaps it is necessary to take a moment and contemplate. Take a moment to recollect what Christ has done for you. All that he has done, he's done. You know, it's common oftentimes in, in theological circles because you want to be so theologically precise and theologically correct to think that Christ did everything for the glory of God. No, all that Christ did was only for the glory of God. Yeah, that's true. The Bible says everything he did, he did for you. There's that too. Why was he born? He's born for you. Isaiah chapter 9 says, for unto us the son is born. Unto us. A child is given. Why was he born? He was born for us. Why did he live? Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that he lived for us, that we might look upon him and consider him who endured so that we might do the same. Why did he live? He lived for us. Why did he die? He died for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 through 8, we are told again and again that Christ came and died for the ungodly, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for who? Us. Why was he born? He's born for us. Why did he live? He lived for us. Why did he die? He died for us. Why was he raised again on the third day? The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 25 that he was raised for our justification. This is all that your king has done for you. He's born for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He was raised on the third day for you. He has ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. For who? For us. For there he ever lives to make intercession for us. Not only was he born, not only did he live, not only did he 
die, not only was he raised, not only is he at the right hand, ascended to the throne, the right hand of God, but you know the Bible says that Christ is coming again, and for whom is he coming? Jesus himself says, John chapter 14, that he's going away, but if he goes away, he is coming again to receive us so that where he is, we may be also. Perhaps your worship and your adoration lacks zeal because you have not considered all that your king has done for you. Everything that he has done, he has done the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32 that God has freely given up his son for us. Do you need another reason to praise him? Do you, does your adoration need any more motivation than to consider all that the Lord has done for you. What more can he do than for you he has already done? Is he not worthy of your adoration? Indeed he is. Which leads us to our final point here, which is the exaltation. They identify Indeed, they did. They adored David, and then David is exalted as king. They said, and the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd over my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. Finally, finally, there it is. David waited on the Lord, and the Lord renewed his strength before all the people of Israel. David humbled himself before the Lord and the Lord exalted him in God's time. In 2 Chronicles chapter 12, in verse, beginning in verse 23, as this whole incident is being rehearsed in the chronicler, He tells us that all the armies of Israel and the tribes of Israel came in procession before David and honored him and bowed down. All the mighty men of Israel came in procession. It was a huge coronation where there were feasts and there was pomp and there was circumstance. There was music and there was dancing as the king of Israel is finally exalted over the nation as it was with David so shall it be even more of Christ Christ like David waited on the Lord Christ like David humbled himself before God Philippians chapter 2 
Then in verse 7, the Bible says that Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, even the name of David. You know what the key here is? Don't miss this, though. David humbled himself. God exalted him before all the nations. Christ humbled himself, and God has exalted him over all the nations. But the key is that David, like Christ, was God's choice. God chose David. The nation did not set David as king over Israel. God did. This is so important for us to understand that it's not us who makes Jesus king. We don't make Jesus Lord. We don't make Jesus king. God does that. All we do is recognize what God has done. This is why all of the nation of Israel came to Judah and to Hebron and David didn't go to them because it was time for them to recognize what God had done. God had made David king over Israel. Amen. This is why. This is why we come to Christ. We don't come making him Lord. We don't come making him Savior. We come recognizing what God has already done. God has highly exalted him. God has given him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Where? On earth, under the earth, up in heaven, wherever there is a voice, they will be proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. The only thing is that there is a joy and a hope for those who will do it now. Who will come to know Jesus now as a loving shepherd and a benevolent king because they bow the knee day. Now. Pause. If you refuse to recognize him now, then later you will be made to recognize him and he will not be a loving shepherd. He will not be a benevolent king, but he will be a terrifying judge and an all-consuming fire. The only question left for each of us this morning is will you recognize King today.
Will you bow down today? Are you saved today? Is Christ Lord and Savior over your life today? Is he your king? Because he is king. God established that fact. God decreed his kingship over the nations. God decreed his lordship over you and I. The only question is, are we willing this morning to recognize who the king is? It was the atheist. Stephen Hawking wrote a long essay on the nature of the universe. Beginning and the characteristics of it and, and how it works and and what is it ends. In the last sentence in his essay, he asked the question, and who are the lords of this universe? And his answer was, We are. We are. Well, unfortunately, beloved, too many of us actually live out that reality. Too many of us actually live as if we are captains of our own fate. Too many of us live out as if we are lords over our own lives. But the reality of it is that this is a grand universe created by a God, and he has established his rule over it, and he has proclaimed that Jesus is Lord over it all. One day, Mr. Hawking don't realize it here. He will be brought to the realization that he is not even Lord over his own life, much less the universe. There is but one Lord. There is but one King. And his name is Jesus. Will you? Bow down 